everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. We believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take one book a semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and the culture that the book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. This season, we are going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and today's episode is chapter 7, Marriage, Divorce, and Singleness. Well, I want to mention, again, I'm trying to get better at this, that this ministry uh, is crowdfunded with people like you who um, support us um, on a regular basis or one-time gift, and we're so appreciative of all of those things. That's what allows us to keep this going. Um, You know, whenever I started this or we started this, I thought, okay, let's see if we could make it through the end of the year, which was in September. And here we are a year later, and um, God is faithful, and you guys are faithful, and we appreciate that. So you can go to becomingabiblenerd.com and click on the giving tab, and you can set up for a one-time gift or our monthly gifts, and it is all um, tax-deductible. We also um, want to announce a, a really exciting announcement, and we hope that you help us spread the word, but one of our team members, Shara Edgar, has written up her very first Bible study, and it is called Beloved, and it is the um, it goes through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and it is in um, the works right now, and it will be ready very, very soon. So, in uh, Bible Nerd fashion, we are going to throw a really big Bible study bash, and we want you to be a part of it. Um, whenever you register, and registration should open up today, um, if not later this week, it's going to be in November and um, the dates will be on there. I didn't write all of that down for this. This is spontaneous. But um, that night, I mean, we will have some fun things to do because share is fun. So the whole thing will just be a party atmosphere, um, a Christian party atmosphere. But we're so excited because she wrote this book with the heartbeat of Bible nerds. And so it literally is in paper form and it is walking you through. You have steps to do every day, but it is really helping you journal it yourself. It's not a lot of fill in the blank where she's leading you somewhere. She is guiding you to allow the Holy Spirit and his word to guide, to lead you. But on the last day of, of the, the week, you will verse map. And this is something I truly don't know a whole lot about, but um, we have a very own local celebrity, Lisa Laney, who is very um, knowledgeable in this and she she travels and, and gives lectures on this and she will be coming in and we'll all have our own beloved books and she will walk us through with what verse mapping is going to be. This book is fun. It depicts Shara's personality and the heart of Bible nerds so beautifully. So we want you to be a part of this night. And again, registration will open if not today, later this weekend. And if you can help us by spreading the word, liking, sharing it, commenting on it and inviting your friends. Um, Before we get started, one more thing. I do want to say that this episode is once again, thanks Corinthians, um, it is for a mature audience. We will be talking briefly, not as in depth in the past two episodes, but we will be talking briefly about intimacy within um, marriage. And so, and a little bit about the culture of the day going on. So if you have little ones, again, I just want to warn you so that you can pause it, put some earbuds in or do something like that. Okay, well, let's get started. This is a long chapter. And to be honest, um, 
we all, the team here, we, we struggled through this. Um, I laughed and, you know, when I sent out the text that morning, I was like, good morning, girls. We're getting ready for chapter seven. And apparently all of us should have stayed single. <laughs> and, um, you know, Misty, y'all had the chance now to read her blog on this. And she was assigned to this blog. And before we met, she had messaged me and said, Carrie, I've got nothing. I've read the chapter. I've thought on it. I really have nothing to say. And, um, you know, I just asked her, I was like, let's just come to the meeting and you pray. And then the Holy Spirit led her to such a beautiful and powerful um, and raw and honest blog on part of this chapter that we will be discussing today. But really, honestly, I'm not even going to go that much into it. It's about what happens when within the marriage, you become a follower. And so now you are unequally yoked. And um, I, I just thank her for her vulnerability. And um, if you ever, ever want um, someone to talk to because you've been walking this journey out, my goodness, there's several members of our team that we can connect you with. And um, and they will just build your spirit up and encourage you. So just to go ahead and dive on in, um, I'm going to go ahead and read the first few chapters or the first few verses. We're in one chapter. Um, and it says, now to the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations or to marry, is another translation, a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Okay, a couple of things now. This letter is Paul's second letter. We've already talked about that. The first letter is not in existence anymore. We don't know where it is. And in this letter, it, he is um, he's writing them for a couple of reasons. One is some members of Chloe's house. We don't exactly know who Chloe was. And even if she was a woman, that's a popular girl's name today. It was also used for men in that day. So we don't know. Um, but some of the members of Chloe's household is writing Paul telling them, hey, we know that you wrote this letter and that you address these issues, but the Corinthians are still participating. And um, so the first part of this letter was him correcting and coming down hard on some of their actions. But here we see a shift. He says, now for the matters you wrote about, the Corinthians wrote Paul a letter asking him for help. In fact, one of the, um, one of the things that I just thought about while I was reading um, is this was new territory. The, the pagan Gentiles steeped in idolatry and cult worship were turning their lives to Jesus. And this was posing way more questions than the Jews ever had because the Jews were already practicing living a Christian lifestyle because they were following God. And he had given them his instructions with Torah. But these pagan people were following other gods and they had a completely different lifestyle. So, of course, with this is going to come way more questions Um than um, the, the modest, pure Jews believing in Jesus. But God is not uncomfortable with the complexity that this brings. I just love this. Through this, it just has excited me and shown me more of God's love and grace because he's not shying away. He knew all of these complications were coming and he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is leading Paul to lead these people well. And so because of that, Paul is going to be addressing some things that you really technically couldn't find in the Old Testament because the Jews didn't have this in their culture. So there was no need to address it. So Paul, through through that, through part of the Old Testament, just getting an overall idea of how God thinks and operates in his heart, 
and through him spending time with God um, at his conversion, um, God now gives Paul the authority to address these issues. So let's dig in. Um, I think right off the bat, it's kind of self-explanatory to us in our culture. Well, yes, um, the the man should have relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. But we've already talked in this culture, the man, the, the part of familiar, familiar was able to have relations with anything or anyone he wanted except for married women. So he had this one little um, rule set, but then all else goes. And really in this culture, the wife was just seen as an ends to a mean to bear children and to run the household where he got his pleasure from things outside of the marriage. So this is quite a countercultural thing that Paul is saying, even though, thank goodness, we live in a culture where we're reading this and thinking, yeah, this is a no-brainer. Um, the husband should fulfill his marriage duty to the wife and likewise the wife to her husband. This is where it gets a little juicy. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband, basically saying her body is not her own. It belongs to her husband. Now, this can make some people squirm. But then he goes on and says, in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields to his wife. In the culture of this day, the first verse, the wife, her body's not her own and belongs to the man. That was prevalent. But this was shocking what Paul was saying. He was saying, likewise, husbands, your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the wife. He is giving an equal ground in the marriage bed. And in our culture, like I said, some women will squirm hearing like my body. No, it's my body and my choice. But in a God's design was for a man to love his bride like Christ loved the church. Christ laid his life down and he came as a suffering servant for his bride. And so that's a picture of what a husband should do. And then a wife is um, called to do these things. And so whenever you are in a covenant marriage with a believer, both of you are striving to walk selflessly as Jesus walked. And so when God is asking this, the picture is that you have a loving, caring husband that is not going to use and abuse your body, but that you can have, and Paul's going to talk about that. There's times where you can come together and have a mutual, hey, I'm, I'm going through this. I need a break right now. Um, so I'm getting ahead of myself, but this immediately started complicated. I'm going to go ahead and finish reading. It says, husbands don't deprive, or uh, yeah, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you have your own gift. Remember that from God. One has this gift and another has that. This chapter really... Um, from the bat just kind of confused me at questions because it seemed like that Paul is going to go on to say over and over again that you should be like me you should be single and I'm like well well that really doesn't make sense because God from the beginning says it's not good for a man to be alone he created Eve and then he tells them to be fruitful and to multiply and then through scripture it talks about how children are a gift from the God uh, from God and they're actually like arrows in a, in a man's quiver, like that's the holder of the arrows for the enemy. Like our children, we can shoot those arrows up and it, and it defeats darkness. 
And so um, I'm confused saying, Paul, what are, you, what are you saying here? So it took some time. That's why Bible study is so important. We just gloss over, we read it through our own cultural lenses, and we miss the heart behind it. So also, the Jewish New Testament commentary, I name these things so that you can write them down and get them if you're interested. If you, if, you know, I always think, how does that pastor know that? How does that speaker know that? And so I try to share some of these tools with you. But in the Jewish New Testament commentary, it mentioned how um, Jewish men living in America, the marriage rate is 98%, the highest from any other cultures in America. So um, marriage is highly valued in this culture, and yet Paul is going to be coming over and over again saying it's better to be single. So after doing some digging and praying and some understanding, what I came to realize is that in the Jewish culture, God does say marriage is good. But because of that, man in the Jewish culture, and then just this bled into all the cultures of the world, they shamed and find, in some cases, men who are not married by a certain age. And so what Paul is coming to say is to a culture are blended of multiple cultures that believe that marriage was everything. He's saying, yes, marriage is good, but so is celibacy. He's not trying to talk a huge group of people into celibacy. He's trying to speak into a culture that looked down and shamed celibacy and saying that is good too. We're going to have different gifts that we're called to. And if you have this burning passion and you need to let out these sexual desires, then you need to marry. That's a clear indication that God has called you to marry. But some of us have this self-control and it's not as important. And so it is also good to be single because in our singleness, we can run at a much faster pace for the kingdom of God. And so that is what he's saying. So if you are single, I have quite a few friends that I went to Bible school with and, and just ladies that I've known through through ministry. And they they do have a desire to get married, but it just they're not willing to settle. And it seems that they haven't met someone that they would be um, equally yoked um, spiritually. And so they have remained single. And to y'all, it is, it is good. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and Paul is saying, take advantage of your time. And I just want to encourage you this morning that, um, that, that God is with you and that you can serve him in a mighty way in your singleness. To, uh, so basically what he's going to be saying in the next verses to come is to the single person, don't live like you're married. Meaning having sexual relations with here and there and everywhere. But married people don't live like you're single. Uh, so so both people, there's rules and regulations and an order of how God wants things. To the married men, you need to keep those relations to with your wife, with your one wife, not exploring things on the outside. And to the single people, you need to stay celibate until you get married. I covered most of that. Paul gives permission for a short-term temporary um, stint of abstinence, but he's not commanding it. That's where he mentions earlier. This isn't a command, but a concession saying this is allowed. Um, and there's some rules behind it. If a husband and wife are going to go through a stint where there's not going to be intimacy, it needs to be mutual. 
it needs to be a set amount of time and it can be for prayer and in the Jewish culture, if you already know it, it, it like a woman's time of the month, it is um, appropriate to withstand during that time. So basically, Paul's saying, don't use that for, for anger. Don't hold that against your spouse because you're angry. It can be something spiritual and selfless. Um, Paul then goes on to say that he wishes that everyone were as I. Most scholars take that to mean single. Um, a couple of things, this is just conjecture, this isn't anything factual, but a lot of scholars believe that Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. There are clues in the text that would allude that he is a Sanhedrin member, and in order to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you had to be married. So some people have wondered, it's highly likely that Paul at one time in his life was married, but we have no record of what happened. That's just a freebie. It's not going to change anything. But um, he does say you, he wishes that all were like he was. Most scholars say that they believe that that was single and celibate. The Jewish New Testament commentary had a little different take. That they that he, they believed that Paul was saying that he wishes that people had self control, not living distracted by their sexual impulses. Either way. It, it really doesn't make a difference to us. But then he talks to the unmarried people. This is who he's going to address next. And remember, these are questions that they had for him. To the unmarried and to the widows, I would say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. He's going to later say in verse 39, not to be unequally yoked. He says verbatim that, they, that you're free to marry. But you, that, that person you marry must belong to the Lord. So if you are single and you are going to marry, you need to find someone who is spiritually compatible with you. And then we are learning that some people have the gift to have the self-control. They don't really have this desire of, of burning passion. And that is okay. And Paul is saying, hey, in this culture of all of this... Uh, sexual misconduct and confusion it's better that you're single but if you don't have that gift if you're burning with passion go ahead and get married now he addresses the married people and he says i give this command not i but the lord this is something unusual we haven't really seen this from paul before and basically paul will take the teachings of jesus and blend it and re I guess uh, put it in his own words whenever he's writing other letters, but this is a direct quote just about. It's almost a direct quote from Jesus in Matthew. Um, and uh, let's see, Matthew 5 and 19, I'm talking about marriage. So this is um, basically what he's saying. Hey, this is what Jesus said. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Now, this is a heavy topic, and I'm going to be honest with you. Last week when my team was meeting, half of the members have been married um, to their um, to one husband, and the other half have been divorced and remarried. And so this is a very sensitive topic, and what I grew to understand, and it really saddens me because these are people I love deeply, is that each of these women who have been divorced and remarried had deep deep wounds in their heart that are probably still in the process of being healed because of how the church treated them. And so this is a very, 
just any anything that we address in people's lives, and we've already talked about this in Corinthians, there are some things that we have to address, and, and God is even saying some things you need to excommunicate, but um, we really need, one, to have an understanding of the text, and two, to make sure that we are doing this in love, that this is bathed in prayer, and that you have asked God to give you his heart in this. I'm not going to address this today, but I do want to talk a minute because I do believe that the church has misunderstood some things about the teachings on marriage. First of all, the Jewish people, whenever they're in school, before they become a rabbi, they learn the art of questioning. For example, in our school, um, a teacher will ask, what's two plus two? And we answer four. That is not how they would operate. They would have to have more critical thinking and deeper understanding of whatever it is that they are learning. And so they would need to ask a question back. A Jewish student would ask a question back to the professor and their question would look something like this. Well, what is the square root of four? So they have to know that the answer is four, but then they have to understand how to get another answer of four and ask that question back. And it goes even deeper in the text. When, when um, asked a question by the rabbi, the student would have to answer with another question using scripture. But here's the deal. The answer would be found, say they say see the, the answer in another part of the text. Well, their question would have to be related to the verse above it. So they would ask a question of the verse above it, which would bring the rabbi to realize the next verse is this, and that's the true answer. It's just a deep, deep understanding of the text and critical thinking. So when we see in Matthew that the Pharisees go and ask Jesus questions on divorce, what they are doing is they are wanting to understand his interpretation of the text. It was called his yoke. A rabbi had a yoke, their interpretation of the text. And there were two predominant thoughts in the day for divorce. This all comes to these rabbis of this day interpreting what um, happened with Moses when he gave concession for certificates of divorce to women. And there were two interpretations of the text, one by Hillel and one by Shammai. And one of the rabbis said clearly this text is saying that the only way that a woman could get a certificate of divorce is if her husband committed adultery. And I, I, I'm just going off of my memory and I should have taken notes. I didn't realize I was going to go this deep into this. But there is a phrase that is questionable. It's kind of hard to understand exactly what Moses meant. And that's why one line of thinking is it's only um, through adultery there was another school of thought by the other rabbi that this phrase wasn't attached to adultery and it can mean anything that the woman did um, if she burnt her to your toast, if um, she had too many wrinkles, if um, you just fell out of love with her, that you could divorce her. And so you had two prominent rabbis and people following their teachings into completely different interpretations of what the law of Moses was communicating. So when they're questioning Jesus, they are asking him, do you fall in line with a liberal view of divorce or with a conservative view? And Jesus answers with love. The, the, the view that he takes is, you walk in love and selflessness, but that what that does not mean is if you are in a dangerous um, situation, 
that you have to stay in it and just be selfless and be a doormat. And so this view of marriage is very complicated. The, the, the rabbis of Jesus's day couldn't even agree if it's only adultery or if there are other concessions. In fact, this um, as I was studying this, I was blown away again by God's grace and mercy because the whole point of Moses saying, hey, we are, in some cases, we're going to allow these women to have certificates of divorce. It was God's amazing love and his amazing grace. Because in this world, like it or not, when not this world, but in the ancient world, when women were, their husbands say they left them. You burnt the toast. You're not a good cook. You'll go for nothing. And they leave. Um, that's not a Jewish accent. But um, they, um, the woman could meet someone else and remarry. And if she didn't have a certificate of divorce, that original man could get a little jealous and go get her back and all of the things that she's acquired, including children, uh, and marry her. So what this was causing was if a woman did not have a certificate of divorce and her husband left her because she burnt the toast, she couldn't remarry because no one was going to remarry her. It wasn't safe for them to remarry because at any point in time, her ex-husband could come and claim her again. And so the certificate of divorce was a beautiful picture of grace allowing women to move on with their lives. So... Uh, if you want to learn more about this, and if you are in ministry, if you are a minister, I encourage you to, to look into David um, in Stone Brewer's work. He is a professor. Uh, it's attached to Cambridge um, University um, uh, and just a brilliant scholar. And what I love is his humbleness. He always will say, if you hear him, um, hey, if you're ever in the area, come and set up a tea with me and let's just talk text. Um, and I, I love guys like that, just humble and, and, and genuine. But he wrote a book called Divorce and Remarriage in the Church, where he really explains that this is much more complicated if you understand um, the, these two sides of the Jewish rabbis trying to interpret, to interpret the law of Moses. It's much more complicated than what we Westerners read when we see Jesus's response. And um, I think that there are a lot of that have tried to navigate this and been really hurt by other Christians' reactions. So I encourage you to get that book, or I will put in the show notes a link to a podcast with Dr. Michael Heiser where he interviews David and Stone Brewer. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a deep theological conversation, but it's really good and really necessary. So that's all I'm going to say about marriage. Um, but to the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord... This is an unusual thing that Paul is talking. So he addressed the married people, but now to the rest of them, I say this. Now, remember, it's I, not the Lord. So this isn't he basically, I'm not going to quote something that Jesus said because Jesus's predominant ministry was to the Jews. And so he didn't need to address these things. Remember, Paul is now called to this pagan Gentile world, and it's a whole new world because they live by a whole different set of rules. So there are things that really didn't need to be addressed before because the Jews didn't participate in these things. So, but God gives Paul the authority and this is the uh, inspired word of God. So this is gold. We need to live by it. He says, if a brother, now we don't get to do that. We don't say, now the Lord didn't say this, but I say it. But this, Paul had a unique commission from Jesus Christ himself. And he says, if a brother who has a wife 
who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is a believer, vice versa, it, she cannot divorce him unless the unbeliever wants a divorce. And then he goes into talking about how the unbelieving spouse is sanctified through the believing spouse. This is a little mind blowing. And what, I, what I've learned is that this sanctified doesn't mean that your, your household, it doesn't mean that the unbelieving spouse and the children are saved. That's a personal decision they have to make on their own. But what it does mean is that that unbeliever is in a position of influence and favor by you. You are walking with the Lord. So you are going to have benefits of God's promises in your home. And so that spouse and your children get to live with those benefits. Um, they get the special favor and blessings that that believer is experiencing. They, um, anyway, that, that's enough. That's enough uh, about that. And so um, if you have not gotten a chance to read Misty's vlog on chapter seven, I encourage you to do so. It's a beautiful um, testimony of her walking this out. There's also this belief, um, you know, the, the Corinthians, they, they kind of are thinking, um, I am married. Should I not be? And um, should I divorce? And, and what if I'm married to this, this pagan? I'm a Christian. Now, there are all these complications. And Paul's doing his due diligence and answering them all. So now he moves into a different direction, and it's a change of status, a change of social status. So before we get in the section, I wanted to just kind of tell you a little bit. Um, my mom comes from an um, Italian immigrant family, and something that had blown my mind um, after spending half of my life um, on at, at Sunday dinners in the Italian household, you know, you would walk over there, and it would be Italian food, and everyone smoking, and just a lot of uh, Italianness, and it was fun, and um, you know, I just, I've always been fascinated by different cultures, and so I loved just soaking in everything that I could for my great-grandmother. I had her from, uh, until I was in 10th grade, and she would teach me the language and the culture, but what made me sad was that I noticed, like, my mom and all of her siblings, they really didn't live or carry that Italian culture. They, that none of them learned to speak Italian, and they did their very best to assimilate. That was what was important in this day. And I learned, I've seen this in other friends and relatives that have a parent um, from another country that were immigrants over here. They wanted to just assimilate. And, and that word assimilate means to become like something else. And so that is really what um, Paul is going to be addressing here. Some of these people, whether Jew or Gentile, they are assimilating into the culture for their various reasons. And Paul is asking them to stay as they were. So let's dig into this. It says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them. Not, I mean, not, don't, don't say not, just as God has called them. This is the rule I laid down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised and then vice versa. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were called when God called them. Okay, this is a little unusual, but this is an actual thing that was happening. Because of this assimilation, some Jewish people were having a procedure done to make it look like they had not been circumcised so that they could assimilate. Now, of course... 
I'm about to go off uh, <laughs> here, but if you're like me and you wonder, how do people know? How would people ever know if you're uncircumcised or not? I found out. Um, one of my study partners, Lynn, had found out that in in Jerusalem or in Israel, when you entered the temple, there was a temple keeper, a gatekeeper, and they would check. They would check to see if you were circumcised before that you went in. And I guess that was a way of keeping some Gentiles out because they weren't allowed to go into um, the inner courts. And um, in this world, how they would know was quite easy. Um, that the bathhouses were popular and so you went into these bathhouses and everyone would be nude and so you would stick out um, a little bit about these bathhouses they were located in gymnasiums and the gymnasium remember the the Isthmus games are popular which were much like the olympic games there were at the height at this time and so in a gymnasium people would learn to compete for these games and they would be completely nude um, everyone, everything that I'm going to say is completely new. There are were lecture rooms um, throughout the gymnasium. So if um, a Stoic or a, a philosopher came, you could go listen to their lectures there in those rooms. Uh, there were educational classes going on. There were cultural facilities. Um, and what I read was this was think of a cross between um, a workout, like a gym, a workout facility, and a spa but also just a meeting place for social activities. And then of course, bathing. And they would they would coat this oil all over your body and then you had this tool where you would scrape the oil off and then it would just all fall into the water and the water would just stay because they didn't have drainage like we did. And so it sounds like a really gross, filthy place, but everyone would be nude, so you would know. And so some of these Jews were having these um, procedures done to become uncircumcised and then we know gosh through following the new testament that there is a group of jewish people that are fighting saying that these gentiles have to be circumcised paul is saying with what whatever way you came to know jesus stay there the circumcision and uncircumcision is nothing but what is important that you obey that you keep God's commands. That's what counts. That that wherever your starting point is, you can stay like in that, not stay sinfully in that state. You don't need to change your body, but you do need to change your heart and your life. Okay, so then he addresses um, slaves. He says, were you a slave when you were called? Well, don't let that trouble you. Although, if you can, gain your freedom. But what some people were doing... and. Um, is becoming slaves of human beings. And he says, don't do this. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation that they were in when God called them. Why would people want to become slaves? Well, this is a culture that is very, it's very different than our culture. And um, and when, if you were born in poverty, you are going to stay in poverty. You're going to stay that lower class. But what you could do is you could be a free man, born free, living in poverty and you could sell yourself into slavery and become owned by a person and within that world we can't look at what slavery was like in america that is a poor poor picture of the system and within this you could join the high status individuals and you would actually earn some money and so you could save your money because you're living in their house and you're getting their food and you're getting things that um 
get all your needs met and you were earning money and then you could later purchase your freedom at a higher status in society. And some of these ladies, and they, when they became freedmen's, they would actually bring some wealth with them and, and, and do very well for themselves. Well, if this happens and you buy your freedom, your sons would be full freeborn Roman citizens if the person that had owned you before had Roman citizenship. And so you could completely change your status. Now, why is Paul saying don't do this? Because this seems like a beautiful thing that we could do. Here's the catch. When you sold yourself um, into slavery, you would have to, it would be expected for you to worship the master as if they were a god. So now you're compromising. That is the issue here. All of a sudden, you are compromising to move up in status. And so we see that even now in our culture, there is this upward mobility that can become a god to us. We can be so focused on our ambition and promotion that we begin to slowly compromise. And after you slowly compromise, it will grow and grow and grow before your heart is seared and your conscience is seared and you don't even realize that the decisions that you are making are an abomination to the Lord. So now we see that he's going to address, uh, when he says now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So again, he doesn't really have anything from scripture that he can quote, but he's saying, I have the authority. God has trusted me to make these, to navigate these new waters because of the present crisis. I think it is good for man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you um, have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you for this. Now we don't know what this present crisis is. There's some theories. It has been found and documented that there is a food shortage um, in this time. We also know that Nero is the emperor and he, he persecuted the Christians relentlessly. And that would have been very hard. Um, if you were told, um, to renounce Christianity, or they're going to torture your kids or your wife. It's complicating the situation. And so he's saying because of whatever, whatever this present crisis is, it's better to be single. But once again, if you don't have that gift, remarry. It's not a sin. Um, go as you, as you are. And then he talks about, um, and I'm really going to wrap up this last section instead of going verse by verse, but he talks about that the time has been shortened um, and that he gives us a way to view um, our lives here through the lens of eternity. He's telling you that time is short and that we all need to live with an eternity mindset. I encourage you and I urge you, and I'm telling you, time is short. Jesus said we lived in the last days, and there are many of us that really believe that we are in the last of the last days. I believe wholeheartedly, and it's okay if I'm wrong because Paul is telling us even back in the, these days that we should live with eternity in mind because time is short. And he is telling you that it's, we're almost there. We just have a little way to go. So detach from the things of this world because it is going to pass. And where we are going, there is going to be joy for eternity. There is going to be happiness. There is, um, and so we don't need to busy ourselves with, um, 
this building our own kingdoms here on earth or taking advantage of all of the things that the world have to offer, spending our money on these material things, they will not go with us into eternity. Limit your distractions. So many of these things are distractions that time is short. I will tell you, and this is just my personal, like the Lord deals with us personally, but um, in, in my old house, and many of y'all saw that on the video, my, my beautiful fireplace, it was a 60s house and I had this huge, we called it the stage. And I, this house was huge, it was enormous and we got it at a good price because of how old it was and we remodeled it. But this house, it, it took a lot to fill it. And what I realized is the size of it was such a distraction. I was spending more time picking up the house and cleaning the house and decluttering the house that it was taking so much time. And I really newly have wanted to move for years, but I really started getting a conviction of it. And so we downsized greatly and I got rid, I'm, I had a little hoarder tendency in me. And so I really worked hard at just getting rid of stuff that just kept me busy and distracted. Time is short. We have to limit our distractions. And so I want to end there um, and really just start praying that God gives you an eternity mindset. We need to use our time wisely. We need to use our money and our finances wisely. We need to use our relationships wisely. There's not a lot, a lot of time left. And we want what we are putting in. The reason why we do this is to have a a sweet intimacy with our savior, but it is also so that it comes out because what we put in will come out and we, instead of murder mysteries or, or Netflix or whatever that we busy ourselves with, I, I'm, I'm talking my thing. So, so don't think that I'm preaching to you. I'm talking to me. Instead of that coming out, we want the Holy Spirit and God's word to come out so that many will come to know him in these last days. We are going to chapter eight next week. It is short, but whoo, there was a lot to it. My team, we talked for probably an hour and a half navigating through these sticky waters of the gray area. So it's going to be a good one. I'll see you next week. Happy reading.